Hey, Finley number two here, Joseph. And what we have here is a special um, Harry Northup companion. Essentially what happened was when we had Harry Northup on the show for our Martin Scorsese episode, um, we ended the episode and Harry wanted to talk some more about movies and Scorsese and Hollywood and history and writing. And so I asked his permission to pull up my iPhone and record the conversation and what you have here is raw and it's um, you know lower quality audio for sure but it's sort of um, off the record or on the record off the record uh, conversation over lunch with Harry Northup um, and it's meant to be a companion piece so we hope you enjoy there was a, a new art recently, uh, Jean Vigo, and he uh, he was like a cinema poet. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a great film. Also, I love um, uh, Renoir's Grand Illusion. Oh yeah, love, that's my number one. Film. That's one we have to do Renoir soon. Did he yeah. do The River as well? A movie called yeah, The River. He did yeah. The River. yeah, yeah. And that, he also was uh, featured in the uh, documentary Bertrand Tavernier's Journey Through French Cinema. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Renoir. I think, you know, the other thing about Scorsese, which we didn't get into, was that, uh, you know, he grew up in Little Italy, and there was no books in his house. Uh So, probably the Bible, right? Because they're religious. So, he learned storyboarding at an early age from reading comic books. Oh, yeah. Telling Mm -hmm. the story frame by frame. That makes sense. And then his dad would make (laughs) movies, and then, uh, you know, he'd watch those neorealist films. They would show two a night, and, you know, a certain night of, of the year. So, he's a product not only of the American cinema but then the European European cinema right yeah the more art because see a lot of people you know who came in the generation before me I used to hang around with a lot of actors in Hollywood and comedians and they wouldn't like Scorsese because they thought you know he's not a storyteller I mean probably the first time he really told a conventional narrative was in The Departed Uh because you know he as I said we like to move sideways he kind of emotional or the way he puts things together almost like a poet Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. You're right about that. I was trying to think of maybe Goodfellas, but then I see what you're saying. Yeah, it was not non-linear characterization and all like that. So yeah, maybe maybe it is Departed. Well, maybe the Departed because you don't have a you don't have a protagonist. I mean, you do. You have an antagonist or protagonist, but but I don't think there's that sort of stale protagonist antagonist in most of his films, right? Well, it's also yeah, and also this was like not I mean not really his script. I mean because it took the South South yeah, Korean and moved it, and, and it wasn't as good as the original. Not quite, but no. it was yeah. it's pretty fun. And he's also, uh, Scorsese was English major at NYU. Okay. See, and the other thing, previous to the ones we talked about, I don't know if you saw him recently on TCM, but I was in Boxcar Bertha, and he said when he shot, you know, he shot about six uh, student films. Yep. And I don't know, there's one he did called The Big Shave. Did you ever hear about I, that? I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's about 20 minutes long or something like that. Five minutes. Five minutes, minutes yeah, yeah. It's like black humor. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so he did student films, and then when he did uh, Who's That Knocking at My Door, which had about three different titles before it arrived at this, uh, he said that before he did Boxcar Bertha, you would shoot a movie in you know, college, and then you have to wait three months to get the equipment again, or you'd have to wait till you got the money again. <laughs> yeah. And in Boxcar Bertha, it was a 34-day shooting schedule. It was the first time he worked with professional craftspeople. Uh-huh. So he had this to fulfill, so he learned how to make a film on time. Right. And then Corman told him, uh, you should do the hardest things first. So he shot all the train sequences in the first four days. Oh, okay. Wow. Interesting, yeah, yeah. So just learning all those yeah. practical things too, right? Mm-hmm. 
as opposed to someone like Kubrick, right? It's just like, let's go a year over, you know, time and, and budget. And it's a Kubrick, my friend. What's that? An authentic Kubrick piece, my yeah. friend. Yeah, well, see, sure. they, have, they have something in common because uh, Kubrick, some, a friend of mine, Joe Turkel, who was in three Kubrick films, he thinks Kubrick's the greatest director ever. He only made, what, 11 or 13 films? And they, the other thing interesting about Kubrick, he, would, he wouldn't shoot a movie unless it was based on a, a form that would have been successful. The only film, the first film he ever did, he wrote, I think, something by Death, something Desire in the title. The first film was a small film. And then all the others were based on another subject uh, form. Sure. But uh, he said, even though Scorsese or Kubrick was a perfectionist, if you came up with a better idea, he had no ego. He yeah. just wanted it to be right. enhanced. Yeah. Except for, except for when you fake the moon. I mean, that's. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love movies, you know, there used to be a uh, place in LA, it's still there probably, uh, oh, I forget the title, it was on 3rd and near uh, the Beverly Center, but Joe Ellen, a lot of actors would hang out there. So one night we're all standing together, a real crowded bar, and tables and all that, and uh, John Garfield's son, David Garfield, he was the editor, and he was a junkie, and his wife was there, and we were all standing there, and close to the bar, and all of a sudden, David's wife said, I said, I don't want to talk about movies anymore. You know, and, and so we all just stood there for about two or three minutes, and all quiet, and then somebody goes, remember that scene in this one? Yeah. <laughs> But Scorsese, you know, one time uh, when I was working with Demi, he sa I said to him, who's the best director in terms of all time? I said, yeah, he said, I have to think about that. I said, of uh, our time, he said Scorsese. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And Michael Mann said Scorsese is a friend to all filmmakers because he's trying to save films yeah. and all yeah. that. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and turn you on to, I mean, there's a list I have in my office of Turkish directors. There's always some interview I see with Martin Scorsese where he mentions some, well, that's, I think, Yosef Shaheen, the Egyptian director I got from Scorsese, too, yeah. But it's also like, what are you looking for? What's your level of interest? So if you ask who the greatest is, like, I think since I was a kid, Houston was one of my favorites, if not favorite. But the thing is, because I think of Houston, or I thought, of Houston for a long time on two levels. I thought of the movies, which brought me so much pleasure, but also his Hemingway's like life character. But then you add another thing, and that's the technical aspect. And so Tom and I start talking about: Is Houston a better director, director, or is John Ford a better director because of the technical sort of capabilities he had? Also, John Houston, you being a, a teacher, a writer, you know, he did a lot of literary work too, right? Well, he started as a, as a screenwriter, right? Remember the Dead? Oh yeah, yeah, that was his last film. I think. Yeah, and it was very quiet, which was nice too. Yeah. No cars, you know, very quiet at that period of time. Yeah. Well, Scorsese would walk on the set, like you know, we were doing the Belmore cafeteria scene in uh, Taxi Driver, and I'd say, you know, I've been watching Preston Shooter. Oh, we grew up on his. We, I, I said, he really wrote great. Dialogue. Yeah, we grew up on his films. So he just, he's yeah. always film references, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You could tell that he's a student yeah. as well. Yeah, so, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a student and a lover of, of the whole. Well, also, there was one woman, Alison Andrews, she did some real good films, one Echo Park, and uh, she did a film for Scorsese, I think it was called Grace of My Heart, and he was a producer. I asked her one time, what did uh, 
you, you, you found out working with Scorsese, he just knows how to simplify things. Uh-huh. Bring it down to the essentials. Yeah, you make a, you know, it's, films cost so much, yep. and there's so much pressure, and yet still we have to sit and talk like this, right? Right. And we right. still have to exist. We can't be hurrying, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the other thing, too. We were talking, I think it was Mean Streets last night. Um, Scorsese with the dialogue, too, the way he handles dialogue is... It's almost can be fascinating by virtue of how boring it gets. I mean, in other words, there's a there's a mundane when we speak. There's a banality. We, there's a banality. Everyday. It's exciting that it pops, and then it, there's a banality that happens. And Scorsese, unlike a lot of filmmakers, is willing to sort of linger in the banality of a conversation, and it invests you with how real it is. And he, and yeah, could, and that that. Can, I think that can turn south on you. I think at that point, editing steps in and saves that situation because that can turn south and become just boring, but it never quite does in this case. Yeah. And that's yeah. why you know the conventional wisdom of fiction is to avoid being too authentic in your speech, but he manages to come across it really, really. And the other thing, the danger is working with Scorsese. You know, use a repetition. You know, yeah. Like when he talks, remember like the, the, the window up there, the third window, mm-hmm. yeah, so and so. And you have to be careful not to imitate that too. You, know, you still have to be who you are. Right, right. Yeah, pick that up. Which is why I don't know how anyone, like, you know, these, these sort of master of all, a uh, jack of all trades, um, I'm the writer, I'm the director. Okay, I'm with you so far. But to also be the editor, people who direct and edit their own films, I don't know how you separate yourself. Because an editor comes in and says, all right, here's your 14 hours of work, let me make it. Palatable somehow, you know. One and a half. He works with Thelma Schoonmaker, and, and so they're real tight. You know, it's just always he's the he's the guy, right? It's always his his thing. You know, we, we were doing New York, New York, and oh, here's Martin Martin. There's another interesting thing too. There's a documentary called From Baghdad to Hollywood. Martin Martin, who co-wrote Mean Streets with Marty, also worked with him in student film. And he's an Armenian guy who grew up in Baghdad. And then he came to NYU and he was in finance. And his dad was an entrepreneur. And then the state took over his dad's business. They nationalized everything. So he had no money. So he started working as a waiter or, I don't know, in a restaurant. And then, so he's an outsider. And Scorsese's an outsider. And they would sit in one, I don't know whose car it was, uh, and, you know, talk about writing. You know, who's that not my door and or mean streets, you know, and uh, the language that these people use. Even when uh, mean streets played at the New York Film Festival, when people come out of the theater at Lincoln Center, uh, Scorsese's mom would say, we don't use that type of dialogue at home. Uh, we don't talk that way at home. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Very nice. But did you ever see uh, Italian-American, the documentary? No. no. Oh, well, that's one to be interesting because Italian-American... Uh, is about his parents. He shot that around 74. Oh, yes, I have seen it. Well, remember yes. there's a scene yeah, where yeah, the yeah. mom and Hopper talk, and all of a sudden, one point, and Marty's over here, and the mom says, Marty, he's putting on. You know, the father started to embroider a little Oh, bit. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, You know, he gets the storytelling, too, yes. from his mom, right? Yes. Right. Now, now, were we wrong in asking whether... I mean, everyone knows that his mother... Uh, was in Goodfellas. Goodfellas That's famous. Right. But was she, was she in Mean Streets as well? No. Was that her? She was. Remember the woman yes. in the apartment building that comes out when the girls yeah. have the seizure. Yeah. That is her. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I thought so. Fantastic. Any Goodfellas? Yeah. Goodfellas. Very nice. Who's one looking this way? One looking that way. And the guy in the middle saying, oh, "What do you want from me?" But the end of what was it? 
or Italian-American. I, or, yeah, I think he ends it with his mom's recipe for the uh, meatballs. Oh, yeah? Oh. oh, nice. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Let me go to the bathroom really quick. Right? Okay. Bear with me. Well, this Simon? is fun working out talking about Thanks. Food. Yeah, thanks yeah. for agreeing to This is a uh, real pleasure for us. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me, too. Nice. Nice. I love movies. Yeah. That's all, you know, it finally is a, it's a, you know, we're in our forties and, um, I remember my parents yelling at me because when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was study film and, and, um, I would put together, you know, tapes and it would always be like, could I get four Bogart, three Bogart films from the same, like a, um, Warner Brothers, mid-30s, you know, Dead End, Petrified Forest, um, an encyclopedic knowledge. And I remember my mother yelling at me, like, what are you going to do? Oh, you're going to have to have a career someday. You're wasting your time doing all of this stuff. And, of course, she was right. You know, I went on to, to, to study English literature, and I became a teacher. Um, but, you know, kind of like... Up yours, mother. I finally found something to do with it. It's, I, I love film so much and talking about it and all the, the technical aspects. Wonderful. But what with me, what happened with me is no matter what I go through, I always when I go to a movie, I just get lost in the story. I mean, yeah. I could be I could be very critical, but I try not to do that when I'm watching a movie. I just try to enjoy the film, and then it's like what I say. What I say to myself is, I get it's an escape from that uh, what I call the sickly ego, where we're all thinking, you know, her, you know, I, 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 I. Sure. You forget about yourself. Even a even a you know a movie like say Alpha Dog. I remember seeing that at. Arc light, and I walked through, and I thought, you know, I felt so forlorn. You know, these guys killed somebody for twelve hundred dollars, and uh, <coughs> and yet I, you know, it got lost in the story for a while. So it, it, it takes you away from yourself and lets you learn other people's lives too. Have you seen that documentary from a few years back called The Wolf Pack about the the family? Yeah, that the f- was incredible. What a great story about cinema, oh, about the power. Oh, yeah, I love that film. And yeah. they were dressed like Tarantino. Guys. Yeah, they were doing the re- they re- they would watch it and then and then recreate the script and uh, oh, it's wonderful and yet so tragic because the father was essentially keeping them prisoner, you know, in that apartment for so many years. Yeah, really crazy, really interesting. Yeah, stuff. I love documentaries and I love foreign films too. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole a whole way. Well, that's the thing. Like, um, now I'm trying to think of the uh, the director. I just discovered this guy, and he uh, there's a film from '63 called the uh, the Big City. Do you know this film? Uh, let me look it up. The Big City, 1963. His name is. It'll pop up in a second. Um, or the guy from from Brazil, the Brazilian director, and it's like that's another thing. A lot of these are becoming our public domain, so you get great prints. You can do some some fooling around on YouTube just to get a sense of like what's out there. Um, sorry, let me find it here. There it is. Hello, Tommy. We're talking about this. Um, uh, Ray is his last name. Sadiachi Ray? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 
Excellent. Tremendous films. I, I, and a lot of them are good prints on YouTube because they're public domain, but an Indian filmmaker. Okay, there's a short, recently at the Academy, there was a woman who was the head of the Library of Congress. She came with two of her assistants, and they uh, did a night at the Academy at the Linwood Dunn Theaters. And she, the, one, of the, one of the archivists at the uh, Academy showed a short uh, of, of the Academy's uh, Ray's, um, I don't know what year it was, it seemed like maybe 74 or something, but it was something like called, something like Neighbors or Two Boys. Anyway, yeah. it was an incredible film. Yeah. And it was about this uh, rich kid, uh, you know, in a big city in India, with all the money uh, toys, you know, all the toys money could buy, you know, uh, mechanical toys and all that. And then he's walking around in his home with a pop bottle stuck in his mouth, and he's laying on the bed playing with his toys. And then all of a sudden, he hears a, a sound. He goes out there to the balcony. He sees a little native boy, a country boy, playing a flute. So anyway, then he, I won't tell you the whole story, it's just a short film, but whatever the little kid does naturally, then he tries to do, pop the other guy's bob, bubble, uh, right? And it goes through a series of things. It's incredible. Awesome. And then it could almost be like, the, you know, uh, our government and the people who aren't uh, in power. Oh, allegorical. Another country or, yeah. the, you know, the rich guy and the poor guy or sure. city guy. And then at the end, finally what happens, you don't hear the guy anymore after he's done all this damage to several different things. And he, he, the guy just got left him, and then he's lonely because he uh -huh. doesn't have anybody. <laughs> wow. And there's another uh, uh, guy, uh, a, a short film that you might like. You're talking about the YouTube. It's called A Boy and His Bicycle, and it was uh, Ridley Scott's uh, 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 film school uh, film. It's only like 20 minutes, uh -huh. and it just shows a little boy who takes a day off from school. Uh, and on his bike, and he goes. But you see the real cogent narrative, and then kind of the lyrical art thing. So you see, he's going to be a commercial filmmaker, and it's just black and white. And then you also see his ability to create art. Right. So you can see things early on in people's careers. Oh yeah. What they're going to. The themes, their techniques. Yeah, yeah that's that's really great. And also, once uh, it's sort of like we move out of the studio system, right? So you don't have the Selznicks making every move behind right, you. Right, right. Um, but also, I was interested in. So, for, uh, Scorsese does a lot of work with like archives and you know saving films to the archive. And so, like we had two experiences. Um, we did the Anime Wong episode, so we, we did one film from 1922 called um, The Toll of the Sea, which is just a, it's it's one of the first color films. It's from 1922. Um, it's re a retelling of, of Madame Butterfly, Butterfly essentially. Um, but the last reel was lost, and so in 1985 they creatively tried to match the last reel without actors and they did a, I think an admirable job but what it, it tells me is we also did an episode on, on Sherlock Holmes stories so we did a, a Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes we did a Raymond Massey's um, The Speckled Band from 1932 and then we did John Barrymore's John Barrymore 1922 22. which is in pristine it's, it's just called Sherlock Holmes it's in pristine condition it's archived and so it's like wonderful that Sherlock Holmes is archived but what, what, what are the choices being made because some are just lost, or reels are lost, and they're just sort of like, well, you get what you get, and then others are, you know, and obviously I think part of it is your Barrymore is going to be prioritized, but still it's like there's so many films out there that need 
that attention. I would and say. money costs a lot of bread too for all that. Pain yeah, absolutely. Work. I guess so. Also, it's and there like, are also I, so, many, so many movies that don't get the or don't get the attention, or for whatever reason, you know, like Metropolis, for instance, they've lost large parts of Metropolis over the years for many different reasons, including the you know the the, the, not, the you know the, the German regime uh, at one point, but but but. Yeah, like how do you maintain? Like you can't, you can't get, you, There's just no way to maintain 100 percent of the film. It's a cultural thing too, because I teach um, uh, at the college level, and so I'm constantly, you know, at this distance from 18, 19 year olds who think that um, a two-hour film is a long film. And 1974, my God, why would I watch something that old? You know, and it's sort of like, ah, oh, you know, it's you have to keep doing the work to let people know that these stories. This arc of stories are out there. Yeah. Well, also, you know, just talking about '74, we did Taxi Driver in '75, and so one time I walked over to the script supervisor and I said, "I know you're keeping track of the time, obviously for the time in the film," and she said, "Yes." And she said, "Also, Marty thinks that the attention span of the audience at that time was 30 seconds, oh. so I probably speed it up even more." Be gracious. Yeah, right? Yeah, These yeah. days, the way kids, oh yeah, things, even when they flip the, I can't even look when somebody starts flipping things like. I get motion sickness. <laughs> right. I'm it. with you. I, I'm with. Well, it's even. But that's well, even not the way me. they're filming it at movies today, too. I mean. Oh well, there's that <laughs> frenetic shaky cam. I mean, it's an, it's not Which a trend. It has been used forcefully and well, but not on that every single time it's been used. We used as one of our episodes. We did a Great Escape episode, <laughs> and we used a, a two-minute clip from a, a John Sturgis um, uh, interview. And even he was saying back in the 1960s when he was interviewed that he questioned whether. The Great Escape should should have been as long as it was because it's like two hours and forty minutes. Mm. And my thinking.